welcome back to the Wellness Paradox podcast. I'm so grateful that you've joined us on this journey towards greater human flourishing. As always, I'm your host, Michael Stack, an exercise physiologist by training and a health entrepreneur and a health educator by trade. And I'm fascinated by a phenomena that I call the wellness paradox. That is the gap between what we know as a health sciences community and what we actually implement in the real world to make a real difference with real people. This podcast is all about closing off those gaps by disseminating the latest, most evidence-based, and most engaging information in the health sciences. And to do that today, we're going to have a very unique conversation with Todd Burroughs. Todd is an artist. In fact, he's the director and founder of Atelier Art Studios in Royal Oak, Michigan. And I know you may be thinking, why are we bringing an artist onto a health sciences podcast? And, and as I entered into this conversation, to be quite honest, I was having some of those same thoughts. But as the conversation evolved and as we continue to talk, I started to remember that wellness is more expansive than just the physical wellness of the health sciences. And as you hear Todd talk in this conversation, you're definitely gonna hear him speak to the fact that art and the process of learning art, which is a lot of what our conversation is about, taps into other elements of well-being that are mental and emotional and psychological and can help develop self-confidence and self-efficacy in different ways. And you're also going to hear Todd talk about the community element of what happens in his art studio. I think this is a great perspective broadening conversation. I know it certainly changed my perspective on the role of art, particularly art in a community setting and what it can do for overall well-being. I'd ask you to enter into this conversation with an open mind and an open heart, hoping to learn something new that you wouldn't necessarily expect to learn from a health sciences podcast. I think this conversation is intriguing and delightful and Todd's passion for this is very much contagious. Any additional information from this podcast can be found on the show notes page by going to wellnessparadoxpod.com forward slash episode 10. I hope you enjoy this conversation with Todd Burroughs. Well, welcome back to the Wellness Paradox podcast. I'm here with uh, Todd Burroughs today. Todd, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Oh, it's my pleasure. I'm excited to be here, Mike. Yeah, we're excited to have you. And this this is going to be an interesting discussion today. Uh, Todd and I were talking before we started recording that I'm excited and a little intimidated to have this discussion today because we're going to talk about art and its impact on well-being. And, and we're certainly going to you know, expand into a bunch of different areas. And for starters, Todd, why don't you give us a little bit of an idea of your, your background and your story that leads us to this discussion today? Sure, sure. Happy to do that. So I've been an art teacher for over 20 years, and I've taught in a variety of settings from museums to the College for Creative Studies in Detroit um, to regional art centers. And in 2018, I founded an art studio called Atelier Art Studio, which is modeled after the way that I learned to paint. Uh, when I was an art student in Chicago, I was in a program and it wasn't the perfect fit for me. So I left that program, traveled 
around India for about six months, came back and ended up connecting with a professor who invited me to study in the tradition that he had studied in, in France. And I spent five years learning classical methodology from him. And it was during that time that I started to formulate the idea that teaching was going to be an integral part of my own art making based in my own frustration of getting access to techniques and how to go about this. But the other thing that really impacted me about that time, and I think that's what brings me here with you today, is how important community is when taking on something new. You know, so I went from painting in isolation to painting as part of a group and the support and empathy and ability to sort of lean on your fellow students, uh, you know, really made that a positive experience. Um, you know, I have worked in a lot of different art forms over the years. I've been a glass artist, a commercial artist, an art conservator, and a designer. So it's like one of the things that really drives my work is curiosity. Mm. Right. And it's something I try to instill in my students. So I spend my whole life researching different art, making methodologies, different ideas, working in different modes. And I try to bring that all into the studio. But, you know, the studio that I set up was set up so that community and creativity are sort of interrelated. So. Yeah, that's great. Uh, it's interesting because a lot of health scientists will listen to this podcast. And the, what you said about curiosity, I think, is so poignant for those of us that are in the health sciences because we we are inherently curious. And I think sometimes we think of you know, the art and dance and things that aren't in the, the sciences that maybe there's not as much crossover, but I think fundamentally there's there's a significant crossover on the curiosity level. So I think that's that's fascinating to hear you say that. So talk to us a little bit more about the art studio in and of itself. Uh, to starting any business, I've started my own business. I, I know the, the the challenges is the excitement and everything that goes into that. Uh, what was what was really the inspiration behind it? What's its mission and, and who does it serve? Sure, sure. So the the mission of it is to acknowledge this innate aspect of being a person, which is, and it, it's interesting that, you know, what you're saying about curiosity, because they are, like, that's a fundamental human attribute, right? You know, and it doesn't have to be specifically towards art or the sciences. People can be curious about anything. I think humans are, by our nature, curious creatures. So we've set this up so that it is accessible to everybody. Um, we were talking earlier how sometimes people feel art is an element removed, right? That it's something that is sort of ephemeral that the small group of people do. And that's a really modern idea that hasn't really been the predominant way of thinking about art over the years. There's a drawing exercise that we do at the studio where when we teach line quality that we've directed some people to do old handwriting primers, which were the way that people used to learn to do cursive. And many of them have a little drawing component 
at the end of it. So as you're practicing your T's and your Q's and what have you, there'll be a little line of eyeballs or a little line of noses. And the idea was that everybody learns to draw to some degree. And it doesn't necessarily mean everyone does that as part of their career or, you know, that they spend hours and hours a day doing it, but it is, it's a way of accessing some really healthy parts of our thought process, Mm -hmm. you know, the, the curiosity, the problem solving, the, you know, getting the hemispheres working together, you know, those are things that are sort of universally important. So we set up the studio so that it would be accessible to all people. And it's one of the things that is difficult when people come into the studio. You know, we since COVID, we moved everything online or looking at a reopening program now. But when we're physically in the studio, people would walk in all the time and say, this is beautiful, wonderful work. I can't do that. And, you know, as an educator, it's like an icicle to the heart, right? <laughs> because of course they can. It's just that they don't have the experience of doing it yet. So I really felt it was important that the studio be something that someone who's never picked up a paintbrush before could walk in and make something beautiful. And, you know, what happens with that is, you know, people build their confidence. They, uh, you know, they, their stress lowers, you know, they, um, you know, they get into, uh, I'm sure you've, talked about this on the podcast before, but the idea of flow state where you are able to deeply focus and you lose a sense of time. One of um, the things that I love about this is seeing people who have health issues, you know, fall into that flow state because, you know, there's a, there's a woman who was a spinal cord injury um, survivor and she, you know, came to the studio and, you know, she dealt with chronic pain as part of her condition. And when we would paint, you know, she would fall into that flow state and, you know, metaphorically, she wasn't in the wheelchair then, right? She was in her painting. That was her world. That's where she explored. That's where she spent hours and hours a day was in this other space. And, you know, sometimes she'd come back and she'd have a wave of pain and we would get through that. And then I would tell her, well, get back to the painting because it's not going to finish itself here. And and she would fall back into it. And, you know, so for her as someone who, you know, had to curate her day-to-day existence, you know, significantly because of her injury, like there was a access to another way of, you know, like going through time you know, for her. And, and that's something that I think is really important about what we do. Um, so, you know, we look at, you know, people who might not have ever painted before. We look at people who have painted for their whole lives and want to learn more. So the educators that we've assembled are each experts in their specific medium. So I'm astonished at the good fortune I have to be able to teach with the people I teach with, but to see the transformation that happens when someone comes in and has never picked up a paintbrush before and makes something that astonishes them is incredibly gratifying. Um, We have a pretty diverse population. So our current 
youngest student is 12 and our oldest is 85. And they're in the same class together. They chat and, you know, get into mischief and they make some great work together. So we really try to look at this as a universal thing. So it's not something that's removed. It's not something that is only meant for like a small segment of society. It's sort of, we were saying it's as natural as hiccuping or sneezing. Yeah, that's that's great. Uh, what you said about the the spinal cord uh, patient, it it gets me to think in our domain of something referred to as the biopsychosocial model of pain, and the realization that that pain is just not a a physical or physiological manifestation. It is a matter of how society views pain, how your mind perceives pain, and it's just it's interesting to hear you say what you said about her because I've never really. I've never thought about it from that perspective before with regard to how something like art, which admittedly prior to hearing about you from Dr. Singh and connecting with you, I, I don't think I could have exactly saw the correlation between art and you know the ability to help manage chronic pain. But um, it's interesting. And I want to go deeper on that. So I, I want to go deeper on the role that that art plays in, in overall well-being. I suspect you, you have many thoughts and theories on this, and we've kind of already hit on some of them peripherally, you know, such as you know the ability to be in community with people, uh, the ability to be creative, to build your confidence. But 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 go deeper, both from your experience as a teacher, but just also your personal experience. How 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 do these things sync up? Well, for us. You know, there's different ways people go about making art. So there's the benefits that happen just from the art making on its own, you know, and those are, you know, the problem solving, you know, and activation of the reward center in the brain when you solve a problem and you have that eureka moment and things fall into place. Um, you know, there's the reduction of stress hormones. There's studies that show that cortisol drops when people are creating and, um, but I think there's another component to this. And this is something that, you know, is the difference between wellness and just the lack of illness, right? The preamble to the WHO, I love that because they talk about, you know, well-being, not just the absence of illness or injury, but also, you know, the emotional health of people, the social health of people. And, you know, I think art does a lot to, activate that part of being well, you know, there's um, a lot of benefits that happen just from the act of creating. But when you partner that with creating in a community, that's when like everything starts hitting on all cylinders, you know, the uh, importance of not being isolated is kind of baked into the DNA of how we set up the studio. There was a study done by Brigham Young University about social isolation in the United States. And the, you know, the statistics were appalling. They were really, really sad to read about how many people self-identify as being socially isolated. And, you know, the criteria that they used was that if you had a significant event in your life, you lost your job, you had an illness, you know, you had a promotion, do you have someone other than a spouse that you would share that with? 
And I want to say in the highest percentage, it was about 40% of people did not have someone that they would share that with, that they self-identified as being socially isolated. And it's, you know, just from an empathetic point of view, that's really sad. Mm -hmm. And there's things that people can do to counter that, Um, you know, but from a wellness point of view, that's also dangerous. There's a study done by Harvard. And I love this study where they've maybe like 80 years ago, something like that. They started tracking a group of sophomores and they've tracked them throughout the entirety of their lives to see, you know, how, how do they live? You know, what happens to them over time? What health issues do they have? What relationship issues do they have? And the, the, one of the really surprising findings of that was that It wasn't genetics, it wasn't diet, it wasn't exercise, it wasn't, um, you know, your environment that determined your long-term well-being. The single most important factor in determining someone's wellness over time was the relationships that they build with people. You know, do they have a vibrant community where they've got close relationships? And, um, you know, one of the things that is really, really important to us is that we foster that hand in glove with the creative part, you know? So, you know, as people, um, you know, come in, there's a, there's an exposure that that people will feel, right? No one wants to look stupid coming in and doing something new, right? So we've curated the community so that it's really welcoming. It's really supportive and it helps to have an open mind about learning something new if you feel secure doing it. You know, so, um, and that's led to, you know, people forming really meaningful relationships out there. The uh, woman who um, had the spinal cord injury sadly died about two years ago. And uh, as a way of dealing with the grief of that, the community at the studio gathered around and finished her last painting for her. It was this giant painting of two hippopotamuses that she was maybe about halfway done. So over the course of, you know, about a month, you know, students came in and just as a way of catharsis for themselves of dealing with their grief and kind of, you know, keeping their community vibrant, they painted her painting. And then, you know, we went back and finished off some details and gave it to her husband. And, you know, and it's just one of those small acts of, you know, coming together and creating meaningful relationships that those people carry with them throughout their lives now. Yeah, that's, that's powerful. That's the, uh, that, that's a powerful, powerful story of, of finishing that painting. I appreciate that you were able to start that explanation on health and wellness by talking about the, the WHO and some studies regarding stress hormones and even interject the Harvard alumni study. I think you know many, many people who listen to this podcast are definitely connect with, with those kind of things. And, and there clearly is a, you know, a physiological basis to a lot of this, which is, which is exciting. I'm curious to even go a layer deeper though. What, what things are you doing to intentionally you know, create this kind of community because that just, it, it happens on some level organically, but you as the, as the leader there, you have to create the conditions for that. So what are, what are some of the things that end up happening to create that, that vibrant supportive community? So thank you. That's a, that's a really great question. Um, 
with us, you know, we look at everyone that comes in, comes in for a reason, right? It's like, it's a studio that is there by choice. So, you know, part of what we do is we take the time to get to know people as individuals, you know, so rather than putting them into a machine and shooting them through the other side to come out, having acquired a certain set of skills, we go back to that idea of mentorship and you can't really mentor a stranger, right? So we take the time, we get to know, you know, what the story is of each person coming in. And, you know, and since we bring in such a diverse group, each of these people has their own story. They might be there for different reasons, but you know, we kind of curate the bringing together of them. So say, you know, except our oldest student right now is mid eighties and, you know, is at a much higher risk for social isolation than say a high school student, you know, where it, true, you can be alone in a crowd, but you know, the, the likelihood of them having kind of gone through the losses that, you know, a, a student in their eighties have in terms of their social group, you know, dying off and, what have you is different. So we try to like, you know, pair people up so that their needs are complementary. So with a youth student who might be coming in, you know, because we want to instill sort of a growth mindset into them, you know, to have them understand that, you know, talent's not an innate thing. It's something that they make through hard work over time. You know, their motivation for being there might be different than say a 75 year old who, you know, is trying to figure out what they do with the retirement, you know, but they have complementary, um, you know, drives and shared experiences. So one of the things that we do that is really different is we don't differentiate between a beginning painter and an accomplished painter. So in the studio, we'll have someone who has never picked up a paintbrush before painting right next to someone who's painted for decades and it's great for both of them because the inexperienced artist you know has that validation that even though they've not painted before what they're making is valid it's important and it's treated as being equal to someone who's putting together a body of work for a show and then that more experienced artist you know they're able to get the benefits of advocating and mentoring that younger person. So it's really about getting to know each individual and pairing their needs with another person's needs and letting them sort of work it out themselves. Yeah, I think that's fascinating. The idea that, you know, a novice painter who just walks in could be in there with someone who's who's very experienced. And I could see how that that's a, a mutually beneficial relationship that, that develops over time. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about your your process and I I could be very I, I'll be very specific in my example. Sure. Uh, I I don't think I can draw a good circle at, at this point. Circles let, are let, hard. <laughs> yeah. Let 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 alone at any of these paintings that I'm looking at behind you. So somebody like me comes in and says, you know, I've always been curious about art. I, I think I could see the benefits of you know, working out my creative side. I'm interested in your process. Where, where do you start somebody like me who's struggling with the circle and, and how does that, how does that work? Sure. Um, so what we do, 
And I, I love this because people astonish themselves all the time in what they're capable of doing. You know, our main resource is time. Mm-hmm. You know, what we do is rather than skim along the surface and do 20 paintings that are, you know, a half inch deep, you know, we do a deep dive and we slow down and we really spend time analyzing each piece of it. So when someone comes in to paint with me um, and we teach other things, we've got phenomenal drawing instructors or bringing in a photography instructor who I can't believe we have the good fortune of getting. Um, but so I'll just talk about what I do for my students. Um, they, they learn a technique that was popular in mid to late 18th century Europe, sort of, it's a French academic approach to painting, but why they learn that is because it's a bunch of small steps that lead to a complicated outcome. So what we do is we just break it down to one simple step to the next simple step, to the next simple step. And it's the accumulation of those steps that lead to these things that astonish, you know, the people who made them. The, you know, I I talked with my students about, you know, this being the creation of a toolbox rather than an orthodoxy, you know? So with us, you know, we want to equip people to be able to, you know, discover a personal voice with it because that's what'll keep them curious in painting over time. But the mechanics of painting, the moving from the circle to this thing, um, that's, it may sound, uh, it may sound sound like it gives you reason for skepticism. That's the easy part. Mm. It's just, it, what it is, is we break it down one little component and move to the next component to the next component. So it's a methodology. Um, so those that you know, haven't painted before, but have assembled a jigsaw puzzle, it's about, it's a similar sort of process to that, you know, so it's problem solving, it's thinking and it's time, but um, it's incredibly accessible. One of our other students um, that came in, not ever having made a work of art before, and I think that kind of relates to, you know, the, the theme of wellness here came in with, through um, the suggestion of a friend of his who was a physician that had treated him earlier in his life. They, they became friends and uh, this uh, gentleman was diagnosed with Alzheimer's and as it was developing, you know, me and my student who was the physician were talking about why don't we bring him in and activate this other part of his brain as part of his brain's shutting down? Let's build something new in another part of his consciousness, right? And he had never painted before in his life. He was 85 when he came in, was blind in one eye and colorblind in the eye that he had vision in and ended up making, you know, several great pieces. Mm -hmm. Uh, And, you know, what we did is we sort of innovated how we would instruct him. So it was on the same principle of breaking it down to one small component at a time, but we had to mask off areas and then, you know, but it was great in terms of, you know, he got to do something entirely new that he had never done in his life that he felt tremendous pride in, you know, he was activating different parts of his brain that, you know, otherwise 
would not have been activated. And he had a blast because he got to come in and be part of a community. It was really excited to see him. And, you know, what would happen is I would work with him for part of the day. And then when I needed to go to other students, you know, some of the more advanced students would come over and they would take over and they had his back, you know, and it was great for them, great for him. And it's just, you know, it's one of the things I love about this is people trusting themselves and finding that they've got agency over something in their lives that they did not realize they had agency over. And the hope is that they take that and they bring it to other parts of their life too. Yeah, it's it's so interesting you say that because that's exactly what I was thinking during that whole explanation that you were giving about it being a process and a methodology that is just building of skills. And in any significant behavior change that occurs in life, have it be you know a health behavior change like eating or physical activity, or you know a psychological behavior change like shifting to more of that growth mindset, it is very much a step by step process. I think. It's just interesting with art. I think that a lot of people's perspective, including my own, is just like, again, you look at these. For those of you that are uh, listening to this, you can't see these beautiful uh, works that that Todd has behind them. But you look at something like that and you just assume that it's so far beyond your reach without realizing that the person who painted that started at the exact same point that I would be starting at or somebody else would be starting at. You, you initially have to put a brush to a canvas and start doing something. And then eventually with work, it becomes those things. So I just think that's, that's it's a fascinating perspective. Oh, thank you. Yeah, thank you. And the, the growth mindset, right? I mean, that's that's the core of it right there. You know, that, I mean, you know, because it's what I do, like just, as a musician, you know, would hear, hey, you're really talented with a guitar, you know, I'm here, hey, you're really talented with a pencil or a paintbrush. But and I know that is meant as a compliment, but it's it's really wrong, right? I mean, we we build our talent, you know. It's I I did not come from a family of artists where I had, you know, grew up with a pencil in my hand. You know, it's something that I, I just took the time and the interest and the care to learn. And it's universally accessible. I think what's interesting, and as I hear you talk, like most things in this world, I feel as if, if we can get our youth engaged in certain activities, I think it can be very beneficial during those formative years. And it sounds like, you know, you mentioned you have your youngest student is 12. Talk a little bit about the impact of, you know, art on well-being during a lot of a lot of those formative years, and I have a follow up question to ask, but I'm just curious on on your perspective because I think it's it's amazing for the 85 year old to develop a new skill, but I feel like the the underlying psychological and emotional changes that occur when you develop a skill younger in life can really carry forward to a lot of flourishing as you get older. So what's what's been your experience with that? Oh, so you know, one of the things that I love about working with younger students is, you know, you're equipping them with habits and skills and, you know, healthy behaviors that, you know, the intention is that they last throughout their lives, right? So, I mean, by engaging in creative activities, you know, they reduce anxiety, you know, it's a countermeasure to depression and stress. And you think about, you know, the, the stress and anxiety that students have experienced over the last year, 
you know, as they've gone through the COVID experience and so many of the things that they would anticipate doing, you know, they didn't do, you know, I've got a 16 year old daughter and, you know, and she, you know, finds, you know, a lot of meaning in music, you know, and, you know, for her to be able to engage in a creative, healthy behavior that like will carry her through not only this time, but, you know, into the future, it, um, you know, it's, there's a lot of resiliency that I think students build when they engage in creative activities, you know, they are able to come to problems and not see them as something to necessarily be anxious about, but as interesting opportunities and challenges that they can set aside their judgment on and work through, you know, so there's the habit of problem solving and regarding problems as not a negative thing, but as an opportunity for change that happens when they engage in creative activity. Um, you know, one of the things that, you know, we, like that changed last year was uh, each year there's a national art competition called Scholastics that junior high and high school students engage in. And, you know, each year we send students off and they, they tend to do really well, which is very gratifying. But the importance that happens with that is, you know, there's, you know, things, if they're going to go on to design school, you know, there's scholarships and all those things that are associated with it. So it's really positive for them that way. But I think probably one of the most important things that happens with students that do something like that is a validation that their work is important, you know, because they'll get that from grandma and their parents and from me, right? You know, like they, they've got their team that is advocating for them. But, you know, these sort of opportunities for art exhibitions and, um, you know, scholastics, you know, where a stranger comes to their work and finds value in it is a validating experience that, you know, I've heard from older students that have come back and, you know, talked about how meaningful that was to have that experience and how it really helped them trust themselves and other parts of their lives. Yeah, it's great. It's just as I listen to all this, you can abstract all of the, the specific scenarios you're talking about up a couple of layers, and then you can proliferate those out over every other aspect of life and they fit. I'm curious because we we all know that funding for extracurricular school programs get reduced. You know, music and art, and in some cases, sports uh, will get cut. And there's there's a, certainly a detriment to that based on what you're what you're illuminating here. So just touch on that for a second, just on a broader basis. How how detrimental do you feel it is that we're we are reducing these you know, quote-unquote extracurricular outlets that seem very critical to the well-being and flourishing of our youth. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's an overcorrection, right? You know, I think that for a period of time, you know, you know, people looked at, you know, U.S. education and realized, oh my goodness, you know, we need more engineers, we need more computer scientists, and, you know, 
we need hard sciences. And we, and we do, absolutely, that's important. But people aren't so compartmentalized, right? You know, so without also teaching creative thinking, the danger is that we raise a couple of generations of functionaries, mm. right? Rather than people who are, you know, have the curiosity instilled in them, who have the, you know, the seeking of problems instilled in them. And, you know, they have that sort of creative dynamic thinking that allows them to innovate rather than, you know, just execute functions. Mm -hmm. um, so what makes me optimistic about that is that I think creativity is always going to find a way, mm. you know, that, um, and, but it, I would prefer if we could help it along, you know, it's, I can't tell you how many students that, you know, come and, you know, like I ask them, you know, show me their drawings and a lot of them, you know, you know, will you know, have, you know, drawings that they've done and like their workbooks that they were supposed to be taking notes in for whatever, you know? So, and, you know, and it's like, this doesn't have anything to do with biology, but it's a really nice drawing here. Um, but, you know, so I think those behaviors, they're going to be with us. They're, they're natural behaviors. I, I think that there is movement towards moving from STEM to STEAM, you know, to bring creative thinking back into that. And, you know, there's been a lot of you know, positive results from that. And I would hope that that becomes, you know, the intentional way that we educate our young people. We, at the studio for the first time this summer, we're um, doing full-on youth classes and we're doing it initially, you know, as a response to COVID and the isolation that kids have gone in. We want to have some sort of countermeasure to the extreme isolation that people have gone through. So, you know, we're doing that a lot about, you know, community building for kids in that demographic. Um, but, you know, I'm staffing it with uh, public school teachers and, you know, we are averaging about 10 students a class as opposed to the 20, 30 something that they're accustomed to dealing with. And the idea of being able to slow down and really do a deep dive and instill that curiosity a little bit at a time and a student, you know, over an extended period of time, you know, is something that even if it's not supported in their public school, you know, that it, at least that they've been exposed to that skill. And it might kind of go the way sort of as like extracurricular sports. You know, if you play league volleyball, you know, it becomes, uh, you know, a, a big obligation in addition to school, right? And, you know, um, the arts might end up becoming that too. Uh, I, I'm an advocate for STEAM, you know, you know, with the idea of, having that as accessible to as broad a group as possible, as easily as possible. Um, for us, what we're trying to do is to be able to use some of the resources we've developed from the last year doing online training to bring creative thinking and art programs to a larger group of students. You know, so like one of the advantages of 
moving part of our studio practice online is the fact that we can reach a much larger audience around the world. And, you know, it's tell you, the, the drive for creative expression, it's universal, you know, it's, um, so yeah, I'm hoping that we can improve that. Yeah. Well, well said. Absolutely. So where can people go if they want to find out more about all the amazing things that you're doing and these programs and, and possibly even to support you? Because I, I'm sure that many of the things that, that you do, particularly with uh, the youth and some of the underserved communities, uh, those things need support. So where can people go to find out more? Oh, I would love for people to come see us on our website, which is Atelier art.studio and that's A-T-E-L-I-E-R-A-R-T dot studio. You can also find us on Facebook at Atelier Art Studio Royal Oak or on Instagram at uh, hashtag Atelier underscore art underscore studio. Awesome. And we're, we're going to link up to all of that in, in the show notes so everybody has access to it. And uh, Todd sent me some amazing, amazing uh, photos uh, of some of his students' work and and the the hippo one in particular that you mentioned uh, that your the group finished for the woman who passed away. Uh, we're we're going to get that posted on the on the show notes page just so everyone has an opportunity to to take a look at that. I think that that's I think that's that's very 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 powerful. Thank you. Thank you. So before we go, before I ever let you go, and this has been a, just a, a very eye-opening discussion for me. I, I, as I said, I was a little, I was a little nervous and intimidated to have this discussion, but I was also excited because I knew that I would learn a different perspective. And, and I, I suspect that a lot of our listeners who are more of the hard science persuasion probably thought very much the same way going in. And I'm sure they're going to take a tremendous amount out of this. But my last question is the question I always end on because it's the it's the mission of our podcast. And, and the wellness paradox in my mind is the gap that exists between what we know as a health sciences and a wellness community and, and what we actually do in the real world to make a real difference. And this podcast is about closing off those gaps. So if you had one piece of advice you can give to our listeners of how to close off the gap between what we know and what we do, what would it be? I'd say we're at a unique moment in time, right? We're all going through what is hopefully a once in a lifetime event, you know, with, you know, how we are reassembling our lives post COVID, which we're not there yet, but headed there hopefully. Um, and what I've seen in the studio and with, people I work with from all different walks of life is that there's a unique opportunity to sort of reset how they live. So I would say, if you know the things that are important to you and you've got the opportunity to rebuild, you know, your routines, it's the power of a routine. You know, I think it's like new year's resolutions, like, right. I mean, maybe last to January 5th, if you're lucky, you know, but but if you build a habit over time with the outcome that you want, that's all we're doing when we're doing art is we say, we want this outcome that we're going to build the process over time, step by step by step. The only way to eat a whale is one bite at a time, right? And the same is true with life. So to be mindful of what you want out of your life and then to build it, not through broad sweeping changes, but small incremental change over time. That's great. I feel like I could just get done with the podcast with a 
cardiovascular, interventional cardiologist, a physical therapist, or anyone else, and they'd have very similar advice. So uh, Todd, this has been a great conversation. I, I really enjoy it. As I said, we'll link up to all the information about all the tremendous work that you and your team are doing so our listeners can check it out. And we really appreciate you taking the time with us today. Oh, it's an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much, Mike. Well, I hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. If you found the information valuable and insightful, please share with your friends and colleagues. Those shares really do make a difference for us. Any additional information on Todd, his studio, or any other links can be found on the show notes page by going to wellnessparadoxpod.com forward slash episode 10. Please be on the lookout for next week's episode when it drops on Wednesday. And don't forget to subscribe through your favorite podcast platform. Until we chat again, please be well.